G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The story. He announced to us, you know, that now Papa has a new wife, so you have a mother, a new mother. And I was delighted to tell you the truth because a lot of people that would meet us, they'd say, you know, yeah, Erika has lost her mother. And when I heard that, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I've been very careless. How could I lose my mother? Can you imagine? I lost mother. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part three of our conversation with Erica Grace. She's been sharing with us her father's incredible story of going from being one of Mussolini's bodyguards during World War II to then becoming a pastor and evangelist in South America, where he was exiled after the war. Now, today, Erica will transition from her father's life journey to her own story. When we ended last time, Erica was a little girl and her mother had just been killed in a horrific car accident. Also, her father sustained severe injuries and it was thought that he would receive better medical attention in Italy rather than to remain in South America. So, the whole family relocated to Italy. Now, here's more of Eric Scatterbo chatting with Erica Grace from her home on the east side of Melbourne. So, my grandparents picked us up. These were the parents of my mother and they picked us up and took us to northern Italy to live with them. They were very loving grandparents. Really very, very, uh, my grandmother especially was a doting grandmother. Mm. Very ladylike, but just so full of warmth and mm. uh, hugs and kisses. And so it was delightful to be with her. And of course, we had to immediately switch our language to Italian. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, what <laughs> language did you grow up speaking? Spanish? <laughs> well, we spoke Italian at home. Oh, okay. And so because the two languages have similar intonations. Yeah. It uh, wasn't that hard, so... So you went back and forth between Italian and Spanish? At home, yes. Yeah. But now with my grandparents and where we were going to live in Sondrio in Italy, uh, we just spoke Italian. Mm-hmm. And your father was recovering, I'm assuming, so he's gone. And my gone. father stayed in Rome. They put him in a hospital, mm-hmm. and they were doing all kinds of medical operations and treatments and stuff, and they said, you know... Mr. Frigoli, you'll never walk again. And he he prayed to God because I think that would be the worst life sentence my father could ever have. Mm-hmm. Um, he's full of energy. He's full of energy. So he said, oh, Lord, if you, you save me and if you heal me, I will serve you the rest of my life. And um, within six months, it was, you know, everybody seemed to think it was a miracle which we, it was, but I didn't know that this was a miracle. But, hmm. uh, you know, he was walking. Oh, wow. So then he came back to Sondrio to see us, and there he is. He's got a stick, but he's he's walking, and he's um, everybody to say, wow, this is miraculous. This yeah. How much later was this? I'm not too sure, probably a year. Oh, okay. So you hadn't seen your father for a whole year. No. Wow. It was a long, long time. Yeah. But he said to my grandparents, you know, I made a vow. 
if God would heal me, that I would serve him the rest of my life. And he said, the Lord has healed me, and I, I've got to go back. I've got to go back and serve God. So my grandparents said, well, we'll take care of the kids. And um, he went back to Bolivia, and this is where his ministry really started taking off nationally. People wanted to hear his story. They wanted to hear him preaching. Mm. He was very... Um, instrumental in starting coordination between countries and Christian groups, and he set up a lot of the infrastructure for future organizations. It was a very productive time of his life, very Mm -hmm. visionary. And meanwhile, for you, you're back in Italy? We're going to school, we're having a normal life, we're having lots of friends, and also my, my father's mother lived in the same town, so we had both sets of grandparents. Oh, wow. Yeah, so he's, he knew that we were being looked after really well. Yeah, yeah. So my father went back to Bolivia, and he eventually met a single missionary lady from the States who was of Dutch descent, mm-hmm. and her name was Frances. And she was in Bolivia running an orphanage for girls. And they met, and they formed a relationship, and they decided to go back to the States and get married. And that's when my father became an American citizen and joined the Assemblies of God in America, became a missionary, he went to Bible school, and then they decided to come by Italy and pick us up. Wow, so this is now several years later. This is several years later. And so he arrives, your father, who you hadn't seen for a long time. How does that go? He announced to us, you know, that now Papa has a new wife, so you have a mother a new mother, and I was delighted to tell you the truth because I thought um, a lot of people that would meet us, they'd say, you know, yeah, Erika has lost her mother. And I was, when I heard that, I thought, oh my goodness, you know, I've been very careless. How could I lose my mother? Can you imagine? Oh, I wow. Mother. I thought it was your fault. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that wasn't very good terminology to use. So I was delighted because, oh, finally, I have an, at least I have a mother. Hmm. Like everybody else, I didn't want to stand out. Yeah. The day arrives, and um, here's my dad, and of course I recognized him, Papa. And there's this blonde, tall woman with him, and I'm thinking, my goodness, she looks like a movie star. She's beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and uh, I'm thinking, yeah, she doesn't look anything like any of my family members. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so, you know, there's some quiet conversations between them and my grandparents and all these hushed tones and yada, yada. And then we hear that, yep, we're leaving Italy and we're going with our father and our new mother. My older brother actually was the one that said, what should we call her? And my dad said, just call her mother. Hmm. And we said, how do you say mother in English? (laughs) Oh. Oh, so you didn't even know how to communicate with her. No, and she didn't know one word of Italian, hmm. and she spoke a lot of broken Spanish. But uh, we were like, wow, now they totally, they would speak this language that we didn't understand, they're speaking English, and so, you know, it was quite an amazing time. So we had to say goodbye to our loving grandparents, especially my grandmother, and I, I really didn't know at that moment how sad that moment was going to be. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, at this point, we're kind of transitioning from your father's story, to now your story. Because this is kind of the new chapter in your life. We took a boat from Genova to Buenos Aires, and it took about two weeks. 
and uh, that was our introduction to our new stepmother. We had a third-class cabin, I remember. And how old are you about at this time? Um, I think I'm about nine. Okay. And uh, the thing was, a lot of a lot of problems began with the food, because we were Italian. We were used to Italian cuisine mm-hmm. and really very nice food. You know, lots of yes. fresh things, fresh things. Yeah. And all of a sudden, we were looking at this thing, and I'm saying, "What is it? It's you know, it was a hamburger." <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at that minced meat, and I'm thinking. Oh, that looks horrible. <laughs> oh, no, this, I can't. I <laughs> anyway, so we get to Argentina, and then we make our way to Bolivia, and I'm thinking, this is a horrible place, very dusty roads. But um, inside our family, you know, we had to adjust to English, and my stepmother was quite forceful in that. In this house, we all speak English. If you don't speak English, you don't eat. Oh wow! So that was quite a motivation to yeah <laughs> quickly learn English. Yeah. So now we became a missionary family in La Paz, Bolivia, and uh, my parents were very busy with their Bible school and planting churches and visiting churches and conferences, conferences, conferences. Uh, very involved in in all kinds of ministry, but I began to realize that something that I had never felt before started creeping into my heart, and that was fear. Hmm. I began to fear my stepmother. And she was a strict disciplinarian, very strict, and for small, insignificant things that we never could understand why it mattered so much, like even having things under your bed. Hmm. So if there's anything under the bed, she would bring out this, um, there was a seat belt that she used. Oh, wow. And it's amazing how painful the end of the seatbelt is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then she would spank us for something like that. It was just so ridiculous. Mm. And so I began to really fear her. And so I would try to be super, super obedient, super, super good, because, quite frankly, I was a coward. I didn't want that. Uh, you didn't want to get beat. I didn't like to be beat. Yeah, no. yeah. And I feared her, and I also, her, um, just as lethal was her, her tongue. Mm. She had a way of using words that were just so hurtful. Mm. Um, oh, I repeat it. I mean, if she said it once, she must have said it a thousand times. Things like, who could ever love you? Oh, wow. Or, um, I hate to think what's going to come of you. You know, and, um, wow. and things like... Um, you do this because you want to show off. And uh, it, it's interesting how comments like that color your, the way you think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you begin to second-guess yourself all the time. Mm. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Yeah. And um, it was always the feeling of you're a terrible, terrible person. And um, you need to be kept in check. You know, that's how I remember her. As an adult looking back, I think I don't think her life was easy. You know, to come in and be the new mother of three mm. children of yeah. a different culture, and trying to adjust to marriage to a man of a different culture, and not in your youth, but later on in your life. You know, they were both forty oh, okay. in their forties. Um, but still, I mean, she was a missionary. She was a missionary, and that, 
sometimes I can't reconcile that, yeah, but I'll yeah. tell you how I do reconcile that in a minute. You're listening to The Story. Today, once again, Erica Grace is our guest. Last time, she shared her father's story of going from being a fascist in Italy to sharing the love of Jesus as an evangelist in South America. This time, Erica's sharing her story and the challenges she faced growing up with a stepmother who was constantly putting her down. We'll find out how they eventually reconcile and heal their relationship when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Once again, Eric Scadabo is chatting with Erica Grace, whose parents were originally from Italy, but were forced to relocate to South America after World War II. Sadly, as we've been hearing, Erica grew up having a highly dysfunctional relationship with her stepmother, who was constantly putting her down. Unfortunately, things got even worse when two stepsisters were born into their family. Erica soon learned that there were two sets of rules in their house, one for her and her brothers, and another for her stepsisters. The classic Cinderella story comes to mind when reflecting on the type of treatment Erica received. Shortly after we arrived in Bolivia, we had a new sister. They had two daughters. And I have to tell you, to me, these two little sisters were darlings. They were like my lifesaver because I loved, I loved them. I genuinely did. So... They slept in my room, and I became like a surrogate mother to them. Oh, okay. Because um, my parents were gone a lot of the time. And uh, my stepmother <laughs> used to say that she was a missionary, and she wasn't a cook, and she wasn't um, a housewife. You know, she was a missionary. And so for her housework or even making sure they were eating or there's enough food in the fridge or enough food in the house wasn't necessary. It was just not a priority. Hmm. So she wouldn't do the shopping. Wow. You know, if, if you don't go to the market, there weren't any supermarkets or anything like that. You had to go to the market. Yeah. And that took time. And she said, you know, her time was for ministry and not for these lesser things. Yes, yeah, so there was, we began to notice that there was a quite a lot of double standard with hmm. um, the way they treated the girls and the, the way she treated us. Um. I remember in particular that the late 60s, my father brought home a television, black and white little television. Mm -hmm. And it was such a novelty in Bolivia to have a television. Yeah. <laughs> and they, he put it, in all, of all places in the house, he put it in their bedroom. Oh. And of course, this was a no-go zone for us. And um, I can remember, would you believe, I could hear, I love Lucy in Spanish. <laughs> And uh, I could hear my mother and the two girls sitting on her bed laughing and giggling of Lucy in Spanish. And we, both my younger brother and myself would say, can we look, you know, and we'd put our head around the door and she'd say, what are you doing here? You can't come in here. You know you can't come in here. And so we'd say, you know, there we go. So all those things, it was like, there's this family. Wow. There's this family. So you and your brother were not allowed in the room. No. In their bedroom. 
No. Where they're eating chocolates and everything and watching oh, I Love and Lucy. And they would have chocolates under the bed or stuff like that. It was funny because they could have all kinds of things under their bed. <laughs> but if we did, we would get a spanking or a, a whipping. Oh, my goodness. So, uh, so it's so unfair. Yeah. Yes, we we did begin to see the double standard. It was quite confronting. Hmm. Like my sisters were able to choose from a catalog, JCPenney catalog, what the clothes they wanted. But I had to wear things that came in the missionary barrel, you know, which oh, had been wow. yeah. sent from the States two or three years ago, and it was piled high with mothballs. So if I'm understanding this right, there's one set of rules for her natural daughters, yeah. and then another set of rules for the stepchildren. Yeah. So the double standard was something very painful. Yeah. And uh, I remember that um, I was eventually put in an American school, in the school system, and it was my year 12, and I was called from, well, I was in a class, and they said, Erika Frigoli, you're to go to the principal's office, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm such a bad person, what have I done wrong? Oh, dear Lord, you know, I'm Mm. a bad person, I must have done something terrible. When I get in there, he's smiling broadly, and he says, Erika... It's my pleasure to tell you that you've been selected valedictorian. Oh, my goodness. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. Really? Yes, you've been selected valedictorian. It's my pleasure. Can you please start writing a little speech that you'll be allowed to do at the graduation ceremony? Wow, so you had been told that you were nothing and a failure, and all of a sudden you're tops in your class? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I was just, I couldn't believe it. I think I I sort of swooned all the way to my house that day, and I was amazed that my stepmother was there. And I said, Mom, Mom, I've been selected valedictorian. And I thought, you know, for once she's going to say, oh, you've done something good, you know, you've done something good. Mm -hmm. But you know what she said? She said, you, oh, don't tell me lies. Oh, wow. And I said, I'm not telling you a lie. She said, Yes, you are. You know exactly the punishment for lying. And, you know, and I said, but it's not a lie. They called me. They said my name. I sat there. I heard the principal of the valedictorian. Mm. And she said, well, I'm going to find out if this is true. And she rang on the phone in the next room. And she said, yes, this is Frances Frigoli. My daughter's just come home with this cockamamie idea that she's been selected valedictorian. Oh. Oh, she has. Huh. <laughs> and she said, oh. And she hung up and went away. And I kept, I kept thinking, and I was sitting in the kitchen listening to this and thinking, I don't deserve this. Hmm. It, it, yeah. Really, I should, I should go right back and say, please give it to somebody else because I don't deserve this. Hmm. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, I thought when you said you didn't deserve it, I thought you meant you didn't deserve to be treated like that, which you obviously no, didn't. No, uh, I, I kept thinking that she must be right. I don't know why. Huh. So you're I constantly doubting she was yourself. Right. I didn't have that illumination that comes mm. when you realize the truth about the whole situation. Yeah. So what was the darkest point in this whole stormy relationship with your stepmother? I think the, the darkest time was when I had finished Bible school and I didn't know where to go and I came back to Bolivia. Mm-hmm. And I, now I had, you know, my, my papers, and I could be a teacher in the Bible school. And my stepmother's there, and she says, 
well, you've been to Bible school and everything. What are you doing here? Hmm. And I said, well, I've, I didn't know where else to go. I've come back here, and I'm going to teach in the Bible school. I'm, I'm going to be a missionary. And she said, why didn't you just get married over there while you were there? And I said, well, it didn't happen. Hmm. And she said, oh, my goodness, you can't be here. You're going to be eating the food of your brothers and sisters, and I don't have enough. And, and uh, by the way, the Bible school is not going to be in session for another eight months because they're building a new building, and so you're going to have to find a job. And starting tomorrow morning, I want you out there looking for work. Now I'm thinking, my goodness, I just finished four years of Bible school. I was exhausted because mm. I had to work in two jobs to support myself. And so she would send me out. And if La Paz, Bolivia is a very difficult place to live in because it's very high altitude. It's at twice the, the height of Mount Kosciuszko. Mm. And so she would give me enough money to go to the city and then come back. That was all the money I had. So I would go there, and then, then I'd be, you know, days without eating properly. Wow. And uh, looking for a job. Now, looking for a job in a third-world country is not the easiest thing. Mm. This is why they're a third-world country. There's not enough jobs. Mm. Yeah. I'm trying to be a missionary. <laughs> anyway, one of those days, I think the lowest point was where after weeks of not being able to eat good food or rest. I was really, not really thinking very clearly. And I'm exhausted, but I'm also famished. But beyond famished, I'm, I'm just feeling weak. And I'm just putting one foot in front of the other. And I just happened to step off the curb and people started screaming and yelling and somebody grabbed me by my collar and pulled me back. And this truck passed and just missed me by a nanosecond. Oh, wow. And uh, the people around me were all shaken. But I don't remember feeling shaken. I remember thinking at that moment, what a brilliant idea. Mm. Why didn't I think of this before? See, this could end all this misery, all this rejection. Mm. I'm not wanted anywhere. Nobody really cares. It would be so easy. This is the answer. And so I stood there in the corner and I thought, I'm just going to have to make sure that I pick a really big truck. Oh, wow. Let's see. And I started thinking very, very clearly, thinking, okay, that truck, now the wheels are really small. I'll wait for another one. And they were, it was kind of a busy street and all these trucks were coming very quickly. So the devil really had... Oh, this is the best solution. Mm. And um, all of a sudden, it was as if I felt this loud voice inside my mind said, Erica, what if you don't die? Hmm. What if the truck comes and just, you know, you're just left horribly mangled or even hmm. paralyzed? Who will love you then? Hmm. And, you know, that, that thought froze me, and I thought, my goodness, if I was in a wheelchair, my parents would just never, ever bother to see me again. I, I don't know where I'd end up. I'd end up it would be a more horrible life. And so at that moment, I turned around and I said, I need to think about this a bit more. Hmm. But you know, the next day, things began to change. <laughs> I actually got a job translating. I saw this long line hmm. of young girls. And I said, what are you standing in line for? And they said, oh, they need a translator, English, Spanish. And I said, <laughs> I'm totally bilingual. Huh. And you had to know how to use the typewriter. So I said, I'm going to stand in this line. And so all of a sudden... Mom was happy because I came home and I said, I found the job. 
So that was the beginning of things turning around, but what really helped you get through those dark days? Well, the, the really darkest places, I always remembered, I always had this wonderful thought, this wonderful memory, and it's, thank God, I thank God every day for this wonderful memory I have of my mother. I remember my mother, uh, I remember hearing her pray one day, your natural mother. My natural mother. When yeah. I was a little girl, I was skipping rope. And I heard her praying, but I had heard her pray before, but this time she was in pain. It was as if she was in pain. She was sobbing. And I remember thinking, oh, is somebody hurting her? So I quickly ran into her room, and this is the memory that I have with my eyes. I saw her. She was kneeling by her bed, and she had her arms up, and she was just petitioning God, saying, God. Please take care of my kids. And she named my oldest brother, and then mm -hmm. she named me. She said, take care of Erica. Don't ever let her leave your ways. And then she named my younger brother. And I don't know whether she had that premonition or what, that just a few days later she was going to die mm -hmm. in this car accident. But I remember this vivid memory, and every time my darkest point, I would know what to do. I'd just go kneel by my bed and just pray. And I thank God today, after all these years, that God has answered that prayer. Mm. The Lord was always with me. He would meet me every time I would bawl out my eyes. He would meet me. And that's mm. why I was able to one day reach out to her and say, this is how I felt growing up. This is what you said, and this is what you did, and this is how I felt. I said, so I want you to know that I forgive you. And um, she wrote back, and she, she uh, actually apologized. She brought mm. me this lovely card. I still have it. says, can you ever forgive me? And I thought, yes, I do. I forgive her. She's been an instrument in, in my life to teach me, and I know how to teach on parenting and motherhood and yeah. fatherhood. Well, you definitely know what not to do. What not to do. And then your relationship with your father, who just passed away recently. Both he and my mother apologized. I still have both of their letters. And my father also said that he had missed being close to me and could I ever forgive him? You know, and he called himself this old fool. Hmm. And I said, yes, of course. And so they've come to Australia. They visit us here. And then we've gone to the States and had a wonderful family reunion for their 50th wedding anniversary just a few years ago. We were able to meet with all, you know, have everybody together. Yeah. We're a missionary family, so we've got brothers and sisters all over the place. But yeah. we are close and wonderful technology these days that allows us to be on Facebook and see each other regularly. And Yeah, so it's just wonderful to hear that despite the terribleness of uh, your childhood and everything yeah. you were told that you were no good, etc. But finally, there was an apology, there was a reconciliation. Yes. Well, it was great to hear how Erica Grace eventually reconciled with her stepmother and father after so many years. 
and that they apologised to her for causing so much pain in her life. And I have to admit, it's hard to understand sometimes how people can be so cruel and not see the pain they're causing in other people's lives. But the reality is that we all have blind spots and fail to see how we're affecting others from time to time. A good prayer to open our eyes is found in Psalm 139 where it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, how about you? Would you like to pray with someone about broken relationships in your life and ask that healing take place? Our prayer line is 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. We'd love to pray for you on that number, 1-800-772-936. Well, thanks for joining us for Erica Grace's story. And I'm happy to say that's not the end. Next time, we'll hear Erica's husband's story. Chris Grace is from Sydney, Australia, We'll find out how in the world he ended up in South America and then met Erica. All that and more is coming up next time. Until then, I'm Jimmy Colfax encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. One night, the elderly missionary leader, he just quietly challenged me and he just said, Chris, you know, we've really enjoyed having you here for a few days. We're amazed by the experiences you've had, all the things you've done, the places you've been at. But he said, son, you know, you're still searching. And those words, Eric, it just went into my heart. Chris Grace grew up in Sydney, Australia and had an itch for travelling the world. But he eventually found that all his travelling didn't fill the emptiness that was in his heart. We'll hear how Chris finally finds the peace he was searching for next time. The story. the story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life. 